The Reverend Billy Graham tells a story from early in his ministry. He was, uh, went to a small town. He was scheduled to preach a sermon in the church in the evening, but in the afternoon he wanted to mail a letter. So he found this boy who was walking in the street and he asked him where the post office was and the boy gave him very helpful directions. And then uh, Billy Graham said to him, Son, I'm going to be in the church tonight preaching and I'm going to tell everyone how to get to heaven. The boy said, I don't think I'm going to be there. You don't even know your way to the post office. <laughs> in the gospel, Jesus tells his disciples about his father's house, where there are many dwelling places, that he is going to prepare a place for them, and then he's going to come back and take them to himself. Now, Thomas has a concern. He wants to know the way to the father's house. It's the most important question anyone can have, how can I live forever with God? What is the path to heaven? Jesus responds by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now this is an astounding declaration that sets Jesus apart from the other founders of world religion. Buddha described a way, but did not say that he himself was the way. Muhammad claimed to have a message from God, but did not identify himself as the truth. Moses transmitted God's commandments, the keeping of which would lead to a long life. But Moses never said, I am the life. Jesus also said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. When I was a seminarian, I was teaching CCD one night, fourth graders, and the subject of the class was the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Thought I'd have them do an activity. I gave them each just one phrase from the prayer, and they had some paper and some coloring pencils, and they were to draw an image that reflected that phrase. And so they're busy, you know, coloring, drawing away, and I'm walking around looking over their shoulders, and I see this boy. He is supposed to, his phrase was, Our Father who art in heaven. And what he had drawn was um, a man in a white tunic with, you know, hair and a beard up to here, dark brown, looked just like Jesus. And so I said to him, I said, I said, that looks like Jesus. And he said, well, I don't know what the Father looks like, so I drew Jesus. And I thought to myself, that is a theologian, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? And isn't that the truth? If we have seen him, we have seen the Father. We cannot know God unless God reveals himself to us. We cannot behave in holiness unless God teaches us and shows us and helps us. We cannot have divine life unless God gives it to us. And God chose to do this in the fullest way in the incarnation of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, when the Word became flesh. As Pope Benedict was fond of saying, Jesus is the human face of God. So how do we enter Jesus who is the way? Some people think it's just me and Jesus. If I put my faith in Jesus, that's all that is needed. But our readings today teach something else. Coming to Jesus means being part of the church. 
Our second reading, St. Peter says, Come to him, a living stone, and let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is using here language suggestive of the Jerusalem temple. And that reminds us that Jesus spoke elsewhere in the gospel about his father's house. Do you remember when that was? That was when he cleansed the temple, right? And he says, you've made my father's house, supposed to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. And at that time, Jesus taught that the true dwelling place of God was his body. And his body is the church, the community of believers led by the apostles. In our first reading, we learn about a very important development at the beginnings of the church, the ordination of the first deacons. They are given the task of administering the charity of the church so the apostles can focus on prayer and preaching. Just like in a building or in a body, each part plays its own role for the benefit of the whole. And the origin of the deacons was a response to a problem or a need. There was some good things that were happening, right? The number of disciples was dramatically increasing. That's a good thing. Um, the church was taking care of the poor, especially widows and orphans. People were generously giving, and then the church was distributing to those in need. But that involves, of course, some kind of administration. The apostles had been doing this, but it was too much for them. And so they go to the people and they say, listen, pick seven really good guys, faithful guys filled with the Holy Spirit so that they can assist us. Now, there was also a conflict as well. There was um, a cultural divide between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. So almost all of them were actually ethnic Israelites, but um, some of them were more... Um, uh, Hebrew or Semitic in their identity, they spoke Aramaic. Others uh, were more Greek. They spoke Greek at home. And we, we, we know that some of you grew up in another country and you had a strong sense of cultural identity and you come here and you try to pass it on to your kids, but they end up kind of just absorbing the, the general culture. Well, that's kind of what had happened and that was part of the reason for, for the division. And so... Uh, there was a complaint, perhaps, that it wasn't fair. I don't know if that was true or not, but that was the perception. And so, and so the church then begins with these assistants, the apostles, these seven men. And among them were Philip, who was a great evangelist, and Stephen, the first martyr of the church. As we journey together in Jesus, who is the way, we encounter obstacles. But these become opportunities for growth. Jesus enlightens and teaches us and he stretches and he strengthens us through adversity. And sometimes that means that we sense a call to take greater responsibility, to step up. Um, I know that's true of our two most recent ministries here. So one of them is a, a women's group, 50 plus women's group. And for years, people were, were saying me, to me, Father, we need a women's group. And I'd say, great, why don't you start one? Right? That's what's going to happen when you ask me if you need something, right? Um, so it never really got followed through for a while. No one had the, the time or whatever it was to really follow through with it. But finally, 
Um, there was a group that got together, and I did. I connected them with, with, you know, with each other and some, and some other help, but um, they put together this great group, and they did good discernment. And, and then you're going to hear about, after Mass today, briefly about our newest ministry, which is a cancer support ministry. And this was another thing that I've known would, would probably be a good idea. There was a need for it. And again, it took a parishioner in his own discernment um, who took the responsibility and went and looked at what other churches do in cancer support ministry and, and gathered a, a big team to help him and put together this wonderful plan and resources, again, which you'll hear more about. And so this is, this is how the body of Christ grows and becomes stronger. There's an identification of a need. There's prayerful discernment, generous and thoughtful response. The way, literally, the word means road or path. And that suggests not a static reality, but a dynamic one. To enter into Christ and his church is to go on a journey, or even better, an adventure. It has unexpected turns and twists. And that's why Jesus begins his discourse by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. He is with us always into the end of the age. And to stay in Jesus the way assuredly leads us to our destination, which is the Father's house.